0: The, the concept is, is really we believe spirit led and we believe it is of a vision that has um, been progressive and that has been evolutionary in its process um, that uses best practice, international best practice, mm-hmm. but not accepting that the norm or the processes that have been followed and that society has evolved with are okay Mm. Um, if God is doing a new thing and he says to us can you behold it can you see it can you get to the point of seeing it then we need to actually let's look at recovery without looking at it through the perspective of the evolution of the Minnesota model or the other programs that are out there let's see what God wants to do
1: From Hope Made Strong, this is the Care Ministry Podcast, a show about equipping ministry leaders and transforming communities through care. Supporting those in your church and community not only changes individuals' lives, but it grows and strengthens the church. But We want to do that without burning out. So listen in as we learn about tools and resources and strategies that will equip your team and strengthen hope. I'm Laura Howe, and I am so excited for the show today because we're going to be talking all about addictions with Conrad Cooper of Project Exodus. Now, growing up, I had no awareness of how prevalent addictions were. I, I had this passion to help people. I was always the, the go-to person in my friend group, and I was always bringing people home that I wanted to feed and help. Uh, and But I grew up in a small rural town in the middle of southern Ontario, Canada. We our, My family went to church regularly. I served in kids ministry as soon as I was old enough, went to youth group missions trips. But this passion grew just to help people, but I had never experienced or had any clue what people needed. And so it led me to become a social worker. And in my early years, I came face to face with the many stigmas and biases, and let's be honest, just plain ignorance that I had around mental health and addictions. I was challenged with the language that I used and those around me used regularly when talking about addictions. I heard words and used words like like people are needing to become clean and and inferring that people are dirty or unclean or 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 filthy calling people addicts or and really just seeing their behavior as the primary aspect of who they are rather and rather than seeing their identity as anything else a child of god or 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 what someone's gifted in or skilled in or anything And this shame-based language and, and how we reject people or cast them as dirty or outsiders just reinforces the trauma that drew them to addictions in the first place. And no one knows this better than Conrad Cooper. He is now director of Project Exodus, an international organization based out of South Africa that offers innovative recovery strategies for individuals and training for churches. But Conrad has his own recovery journey. Raised in Johannesburg, Conrad went to boarding school. His father, while very successful, uh, his work drew him all around the world, which resulted in him being absent for most of Conrad's life. And while in boarding school, Conrad was first molested at the age of nine with repeated incidents for the next three to four years. At age 14, Conrad began drinking and smoking weed regularly. The multiple losses, traumas, and challenges that he faced caused him to draw inward and just feel different than those around him. So alcohol and drugs became so much more attractive because they allowed him to feel more like himself, a fun, outgoing, extroverted teen who wanted to be the life of the party. Conrad was a work-hard-play-hard kind of guy, and as a young adult, his work ethic resulted in him becoming a very successful business owner and national manager by his early 30s. But his appetite for high-risk behaviors just continually grew. When Conrad played hard, it included a steadily increasing amount of cocaine, toxic relationships, and partying. He soon found himself at the side of the road being passed by taxis and businessmen that were once his colleagues in his hunt for his next hit of crack cocaine.
0: I remember, um, you know, sending money from my folks in I was like 36 35 and you know going out the road to hitch to a place that we used to use in Johannesburg called Hillbrow which was very much a drug orientated environment and there were big taxis going past and trying to catch a taxi and Billy driving past in his you know a sports car and looking at me and shaking his head mm. um, so I was deeply filled with shame and mm. um, I checked into a treatment centre um, here in South Africa my sister and I were using their juice together for many many years and uh, she helped me by, you know, taking me in there. Um, I, I was desperate for recovery. It was a 12-step, um, pretty much hardcore, but upmarket 12-step program. And in spite of myself, I relapsed day three. I jumped over the wall, uh, went and scored crack, and then came back to the rehab and jumped back into the rehab and right. used inside and, and got caught. I ended up on the street. Um, they they kicked you out. And for that night, I mean, um Understandably, they, they asked me to leave, they asked me to leave. Um, I was desperate for money. I tried to sell myself and everything else that I could at that point and ended up um, sleeping on the pavement outside the rehab, convinced that I would be able to talk my way in the next morning. Um, but I couldn't. And uh, those three days were, were, were really difficult. Eventually, I got back in like, really determined and you know, to make this work. I, I wanted, I'd made a decision I wanted to ask. Um, 10 days later, um, somebody that I knew had jumped, at, had come in and had brought crack cocaine as a the rehab and I used and got caught and got expelled for two weeks. Um, and it, re- it just got really, really bad. Um, went back into the treatment after those two weeks and I didn't understand rehabilitation or the process around it. Um, you know, why everybody should be crying during a step 4 group um, or... You know, I uh, I really battled with with the environment. I, I committed to it. I mean, I pushed hard. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister, was, my sister was still out there using, so I wasn't allowed any visits. The, the lady who I had been with um, was also out there using, so there was no visits permitted. Um, so I threw myself into into the recovery work. I really wanted it. And of the 17 or 18 guys there, I was told I was most likely to, to you know, captain recovery. I was, I was going to be the guy that made it. And I'll never forget the day before, There or well, two, three days, before, a week before, I served my divorce papers um, from the, the lady that I was with in rehab. I was told by the counselor that uh, the chance of me relapsing at that point were really high, mm-hmm. not because I didn't want it, but because I was too resourceful within myself. Mm. to be able to, to do it and, and I did I relapsed an hour and a half after coming out um, Wow very badly um, I got shot a day later two days later um, at close range through my lung through my chest um, and very nearly died and and uh, God started intervening. I I, I I saw God in the, in the rehabilitation center. I, I mean, I got into the Word and there was a Catholic oh, was, it a priest a Christian? was it a Christian rehabilitation no, center? No,
1: so, no, like, no. Where did that come from?
0: <laughs> there, there, was a, there was a Christian, a retired Christian, uh, a retired Catholic priest um, called Jeremy. And I started resting God with him again. And then, of course, I got into proverbs about, you know, all the women and everything else. I was, ah, yeah, that's what happened to me. That's mm-hmm. the process, <laughs> you, know? Um, you know. Still not understanding, blaming, and defecting and avoiding my own personal truth and my own personal <laughs> situation, not even thinking about, like, what happened in my youth. Or... So, um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 you know, I changed, but I didn't, you know, I didn't understand. Yeah. Um, mm. So I came out used and then and then it got bad and then it then it got really, really bad. Um and there was like all sorts of ways of getting money. It got really dirty after after that, that time frame. My daughter came to visit me in hospital and I came out of intensive care all the way from Durban. And I had, when they removed the the, the drain from my lung, I had organized a taxi to take me to go to school. And she came to visit me at hospital and I wasn't there. Mm. And got back and I used in hospital, got kicked out. Um, it, it, it got really bad for the next um, couple of years. Um, yeah, there are a lot of other people that are involved in the story that perhaps I, I don't really want to implicate or, or, yeah. or talk about too much, but um, yeah, I, I eventually checked into a um, Christian rehabilitation centre of my own accord. It was a really hardcore military kind of boot camp. Um, Here in South Africa, if I use those words to describe what really happens in South Africa, everybody knows which one I'm talking about. (laughs) Um, It it was quite an abusive environment, very full of of dogma um, and without grace. Um, Just prior to to going to the rehabilitation centre, I woke up on the 2nd of January, 2000, and I was in a crack house in a rather bad area in Johannesburg. Um, and I turned on the TV, and a chap by the name of Ray McCauley, which was the founder of a very really big church in South Africa, um, was preaching. And God sort of like reached out and slapped me, I think, um, <laughs> if I can put it perhaps like that. And um, I showered, I got dressed, I went downstairs, I put my thumb out, and a car stopped. And I said, Where are you going? I said, oh, I'm going to church. And they took me along the way. Foolishly gave me money. At which point, uh, so I sort of said, "Thanks, guys. I'll just jump off here." Mm. And I stopped the car. And um, and before I could turn around to go back towards Hillbra, an unbidden another vehicle stopped, and said, uh, are "You okay? You're lost. Where are you going?" I said, "Well, um, I'm going to church, I think." And they said, <laughs> "Cool. We're going to ra- we going to Rayma. Why don't you come with us?"
1: Okay. You were about and to head the, back.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, I went to Rhema and I gave my life to God that morning. And um, things started to change. I walked outside, you know, after uh, yeah, on, on that service. I mean, there were like maybe 80 people, 90 people gave their life to God. It's a big church. It? Just, you know, so I went along with the flow and went outside, lit up a cigarette, and somebody came up and said, Young man, I was quite young then, 30, 30. Seven and said to me like you can't smoke here. this is hallowed ground mm-hmm. and I was like wow okay well I'm out of here I'm going to Hillbrow mm-hmm. and the next 18 days was like I just got shut down whatever way I turned it just, really? just pushed me into this point and then resulted on the 20th of January 2000 getting into um, this treatment facility and that's my sobriety date is the 20th of January 2000 So, God willing, in a month and a half, I'll be 23 years um, in recovery. Yeah. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. So, that's where the turnaround started coming. And um, went to the treatment center. I had a run-in with the pastor. uh, You know, it's it's a notorious treatment facility. uh, And checked out and um, RHT'd and... I'd admit god they are speaking R-H-T is,
1: and, um, um leave without hospital
0: treatment yeah yes, without yeah. blessing, yeah yeah so i mean i, I, I admit god i mean i, re, I really like aha okay oh where you been <laughs> um i i'm sure you were saying that same to me because Teddy had his hand on me all the way through um mm-hmm. and prayer the prayers of the a, prayers of a of a devout mother and um yeah, the, when I left there, he put a picture of a rehabilitation center in my head, mm-hmm. um, physically in terms of like a, the, the buildings and the layout and, and those kind of things. Um, and, and a year later, uh, on the 13th of February, 2001, um, opened South Coast Recovery Center on 15,000 rand, so thousand dollars I guess, um, borrowed, rented a property and was determined that the methodology that I'd seen applied at the, at the Minnesota kind of base not to decry any treatment process because everybody has a series of journeys that go into play mm-hmm. um, and that was part of that was part of mine um but there seemed to be um, you know God God was critical you know mm-hmm. to be able to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and you know he within us is you know it's like there were critical mm-hmm. scriptures that I took to heart you know in um, my weakness is strength is perfected. Therefore, um, in that his strength is perfected, and I can have the mental, the authority, or the creator of the universe sitting on me. Uh, and that, why that, was I that? that was one year.
1: That was one year after.
0: When it's b- besides any kind of, uh, yeah, it, it makes no sense.
1: Wow. Because yeah. you were pretty thick into it for 20,
0: yeah. and yeah. the
1: last five years were intense. Dark and and really yeah, really, really,
0: dark. really yeah, dark. Really dark.
1: And then and then one year after salvation and sobriety, you were already dreaming yeah. about what ministry or what opportunity you could offer.
0: That's incredible. Yeah. That's cool. That's like so, a so movie thing. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that started the center, you know, wow. and I thought, okay, well, you know, business-wise, I can put it together. Um, and I'll hire, like, um, a counselor, and I mean, how hard I can it be, really? So, you know, <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm sure you're going to learn. <laughs> you learn.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the first counselor I employed, you know, turned out to be a Muslim guy. Okay. So <laughs> yeah, that, that that didn't go well. It didn't work well. Um, and and over the next two years, <clears throat> yeah, things things changed. So so we started. We got a bigger property. We ended up with twenty three acres and about four thousand feet under roof. a Separate ladies' residence. a Separate guys' residence. A transitional house. A halfway house. Full medical facility. Mm-hmm. Psychologists. Um, Seventy five primary care beds. Eighteen wow. halfway house beds support groups in different parts of the country. Um, and we wrote about 13, 14 different kind of programs along the way in terms really? of um, trying to find specialist eating disorder processes. We had people right. come in and train us even from the Minnesota, um, not from Minnesota, from, oh, my gosh, I've forgotten. I'll get back to you on one. <laughs> um, oh, I've forgotten I'll, I'll get that one from the States came over and spent weeks with us training and training mm-hmm. the staff and the African College of applied Psych- College of Psychology training. We did a whole lot of trainings and that's from the team and, mm-hmm. you know, working with specialized program on cocaine and crystal meth and, you know, opiates and trying to create, you know, all of these separate programs. that, mm-hmm. whilst you believe in the 12-step program. Absolutely. I have no doubt in, in the 12-step program. But it's a part of a toolbox. It's not the that tool. Mm, um, that's good. In my mind, it's, yeah. yeah. So I like that. It's part
1: of a toolbox. Like, it's one offering that if, if it's the right fit, it will work great. But it's not, it might not work yeah. right for everyone.
0: Sure, sure. So, so it's a really awesome roadmap. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to to opening doors and to getting treatment done. I mean, step mm-hmm. fours are great. I mean, you we know, are really getting uncovering of, of this process around it. Um, but there are living steps. Um, and step one is, is not going to break anybody's denial and truth. Um, and reality will stop somebody from using. So, you know, there, there's a high degree of functionality if it's utilized as a tool um, and, and worked, with, we found. To work within that in that kind of space, but more important than that was an ability to have a depth of understanding on a spiritual process and equipping from a spiritual process. Um, more important around that, or as, as maybe not re- reference the task here, but as important was the community mm-hmm. um, and building into community and 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 understanding the intricacies of specific drugs of choice and the impact that they may have um, and being able to apply treatment at a multidisciplinary level Mm
1: -hmm.
0: um, and understanding, you know, the need of professionals, but likewise understanding of the need of people who have walked walked the journey um, and have got good recovery. And when I say recovery, uh, we, we're talking about um, abstinence um within that kind of space um, mm-hmm. a lot of people these days are, are talking about you know controlled usage and harm reduction mm-hmm. but we really find that, that that ability to heal and to get better over an extended time frame is critical mm-hmm. so yeah the, the 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 center had um 50 odd staff.
1: I'm I'm curious when you say the center, because yes. what we what you're offering to churches, was that birthed out of that center?
0: In, um in, in in many ways. So so with the center, we we found it was long term, minimum six months, often nine to nine months or longer. Um, it was really an educational base. Um, and that data became clear to me as God opened up Isaiah 46 by people are dying from lack of knowledge. Mm. And um that's Rehabilitation requires training at multiple levels. Um spiritually, biblically, uh, recovery-wise, recovery tools, uh, emotional intelligence self-worth. There's an under depth of understanding because many of the guys have got blocks that are missing. So so we found that we were measuring recovery over a two year period and of the guys that completed treatment, we had like a seventy-eight percent sustained re- sustained recovery rate. Wow. Um it, it, it really was an incredible process. I got to serve on seventy eight percent
1: people. Season. For people who are listening, that is unheard of.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, it really is.
0: Yeah. It, it was, it was, I mean, we really sat in, in awe of God. I mean, we had baptisms coming out of, I mean, we had baptisms. But, I mean, bear in mind, this was a ministry-based process, yeah? Right. The Christian Rehabilitation Center yes. that complied fully with legislation. So in, in legislation, um, I got to, to serve by God's grace. Um yeah, yeah, incredible that um, even like I was five years in recovery and served on the advisory board to the Minister of Social Development wow. uh, and the Executive Committee as Chairperson of the Communication uh, Portfolio and we had a hand in the National Drug Master Plan and changing the African legislation of the new Act. And I, for about six years, um, I was part of that until it got a little bit too, I needed to focus on what we were doing in terms of developing. Mm-hmm. And then um, about 2014, 2015, probably, um, God started speaking to me in terms of, right, what's next?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and it this wasn't about. This is just one scaling. center.
1: This is just one center. Yes. What's next? Yeah yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. And it wasn't about scaling. Okay. It wasn't about running multiple centers. It was actually, we're still going to only really reach. The minimum percentage. And so, how do we take what we know to work, which already was old, mm-hmm. I mean, deep and evolve right? You know, there's there's absolute. I mean, it's, it's empirical. Um, it's biblical. We have to advance in our in our sanctification and working out our salvation. Not sanctification, working out our salvation, and working out those kind of processes. We do need to become more than mm-hmm. um, into that kind of space. And it, it became like, how do we actually get the word out to the one that recovery is possible, mm-hmm. it's achievable, but more than that, it's a right. It's, it's, it's our inheritance. It's our claim mm-hmm. and it is our right. So how do we actually get out of the system to to people to get the one ones that can't, 87% of people who need treatment are unable to, to access that on an international level? Okay. I mean, that's World, World Drug Report stats. Um, so... How do we do that? Because I wasn't satisfied with the burials and with all the stuff that happened. And I sold the center as a result. And um, we took all the proceeds from that and we poured it into developing project exodus. Okay.
1: Okay. So this is what I'm really excited about because yeah. Project Exodus is um I'm I want to hear more about it and we're gonna go into it, but I just yeah. want to pause for a minute and look and reflect or say la over what where God has brought this it, from a life that was transformed yeah. for you personally and then yeah. the favor and the developing of the of the of the um of the center of the recovery center. Yeah and this uh, project exodus isn't about oh the next fad or the next thing this is coming from years and decades of yeah. learning yeah. and development and and seeing god's hand in the direction and 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 you know learning and Proof of concept and all of these things. And it's really exciting. It's really exciting to see that this is coming from God's hand on an individual's life, then birthing this community in the center, and then seeing, Mm. okay, where, now where, how can we make a difference? Decrease barriers, take down, um, reach the people where they're at. And yes. and and transform lives, and and the yeah. cool thing is, is the partnership between the science of recovery, yes. the learning, Correct. and then the spiritual um, well being and the spiritual health. And like you said, that we are children of God, and that recovery not only is possible, but is achievable. Like it's it's and it's and it's, our said, right. it's our right. Interesting, I love yeah. that. Yeah, I love that. So tell us more about yeah. Project Exodus.
0: Great. So um, Project X, which is where it started, um, and uh, we, we now lovingly refer to it as PEX. <laughs> <as> Project <laughs> Exodus as picks and we, we, we say the guys have being pixified um <laughs> we get our own sort of terminology yeah. um, it, it's um yeah the, the the concept is really we believe spirit led and we believe it is of a vision that has um been progressive and that has been evolutionary in its process um that uses best practice international best practice mm-hmm. but Not accepting that the norm or the processes that have been followed and that society has evolved with are okay. Mm. Um, If God is doing a new thing and He says to us, Can you behold it? Can you see it? Can you get to the point of seeing it? Then we need to actually let's look at recovery without looking at through the perspective of the evolution of the Minnesota model or the other programs that are out there, let's see what God wants to do. Mm. What is that process? We we have a deep um, understanding in our team and a deep love of recovery and a deep love of God and a deep desire to change community. Mm. And we we know, um, and and obviously we work with many different cultures in South Africa with, with 13 different languages, not that I can speak one of them really because I battle sincerely with languages but uh, we feel the, the language of recovery transcends most of those but if we look at recovery often the treatment plan um, that gets evolved is a directional process finishing up with a kind of a re-prevention or re-entry plan and that being the, one of the fundamental objectives and then making sure that all the boxes are, are ticked um, w- within that process and we know that 87% of people can't get into treatment internationally. They're not able to access it, be it because of the costs or work circumstances, personal circumstances, um, look, at demographics or, or geographics. Um, how do we understand that without vision, nothing can really work?
1: Mm.
0: Without purpose, how can we really expect the, the guys to keep in recovery? And if that is a principle, then surely we should start off that engagement process in terms of a life recovery plan. How do we start building life?
1: Mm.
0: And this is one of the critical areas. So one of the challenges we faced in running the centre was that when we used to send people out with the most amazing, you know, COVID-orientated rehab prevention plan with all the like, and whistles and triggers mm-hmm. and like warning signs and I shan't, I shan't if that happens, consequence, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. That, um, number one, it created a situation that it's easy to break a recovery plan, mm-hmm. a release prevention plan. And if that happens, we've already created a trend.
1: Mm. So you were seeing that as much of the tools and the resources and the tricks and the tips, all those things that you can send people out, once they got out, the environment in which they were in made it easy to break all of those things that they learned.
0: Correct. So it's it's not entrenched.
1: Mm. Despite being being in, in recovery, like in the center for nine months.
0: Correct. Interesting. So you know, we, we we found that it worked and if we put like a rigorous structure around it in terms of like a, an old school kind of recovery group and accountability mm-hmm. and everything else, mm-hmm. it worked until you took your hands off. Mm. So was it sustainable?
1: Yeah.
0: That became the question. So surely we should start off by saying, okay, great, you hear. What is it that you see? what what are you being led to believe in terms of a vision? And maybe that vision for some people is maybe I want to stop, I want to u- reduce heroin from six times a day to two times a day, or I want to come to the recovery group, or I want to bring my usage. It's not prescriptive. It's not a, like what's your three-month goal, your six-month goal, your nine-month goal, or what do you want to become? It's actually how do I understand that there's more to life, that mm-hmm. there's a path out, and there's a person if I can create something that's in sight, I have something that I can pull toward. Mm. And we know biblically that to, to hold ground, we need to make declarations. We, we understand that there's a declarative process. It needs to One needs to prophesy and speak into it and make that declaration. Um, and that's the second part of the life recovery plan. So it's about bringing the people in, in a way that we can change the vision, change the view, and start developing hope and belief.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's then evolves into our life recovery plan, and that's then starts building about you know structures around yourself. How do you put yourself into accountability? Um, and then how do you get into the program structure? And that life recovery plan, we have guys now who use it as a tool in their day to day lives. Of actually, what is my life recovery plan? If I'm coming through a divorce, you know, do I have vision? Can I see that um, a separation? Uh, you know, I don't want to it to end in divorce. Right, so what do I need to do? Right. What does that process look like? You know, am I going to, you know, structure that plan? So they become intrinsically owners of their own process.
1: So, and that is step two, or is that after step one, when they receive vision, they start building this plan?
0: Mm, yeah, so, so so we changed the, the language from step one or step two, so there's no confusion.
1: Right, not step one, but of, you said there was three things. Yeah,
0: so, 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 the, so the initial assessment, Um, and I'll, I'll send you a whole batch of stuff that you can shut through just to make sure we get... Um, a, a, a depth which I won't be able to really explain thoroughly into the space here, but effectively, what what the life recovery plan does, it builds vision. It mm. builds declarations over that vision of choices and decisions that I've made for my life and my recovery, of who I choose to have as accountability. A, a sponsor is insufficient mm. w- within that space. I'm needing to have somebody speak into my spiritual growth. I'm needing somebody to speak into my personal management and development. I'm needing. Finances are needing mm-hmm. those kind of accountability structures around myself. Um, how do I work strongly and effectively around triggers? Mm. Um, how do I understand those processes of what's going to put me into a dangerous situation right up front and build resilience and coping mechanisms and stuff around that? Um, and then, of course, um, it becomes the, the, the ability to create a treatment plan that is of my own structure Mm. so one of the challenges we faced in treatment was when we the guys left the center and we tried to refer them into a church when they were received by the church the church didn't know what to do with them right they had a re-attribution plan that was like 50 points 60 points long and divided up into sections and they would hold this document and go Thank you. <laughs> and mm-hmm. not know how to provide the necessary kind of support structures into it. We found that the guys that were in, in other kind of support structures didn't become part of the community of the church necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, that there was a distinct shift in between the normalization of what a culture of recovery looks like as opposed to a culture of addiction or perceived culture of normality within the church. And that they still provided a, they still existed a very strong line around um, expectation of the guy should just recover mm. and have done treatment and now be able to automatically socialize at the level that everybody else was socializing at within the community or handle the community pressures or understand um, the social sciences of like good manners or, or how to engage. Mm-hmm. And therefore, they often felt that they was judged. Mm. And that that became um, one of the original origins of many, many guys' um, addiction or acting out in terms right. of substance abuse. So, right.
1: So whenever you sent someone out from the center, they would enter into a church. And not only would it not provide what they were looking for in community, but it actually would harm because it would be... The shame-based language and the rejection and the triggers and all of the things that would that led yeah. them to to addiction. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Mm. So, I mean, a lot of churches. I mean, churches are, are greatly intentioned and are, and are beautiful. So, I don't want to be critical in, no. in any way, but they simply didn't know. They just
1: know. Yeah. Many churches don't know. know. They don't know, yeah. okay, how do I support someone with addiction? I don't want to sure. enable them. I don't know. Sure. I don't know what language to use. I don't know. Do, do I provide this much support or that much support or or sure. what would be up? Most people don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this becomes a hot topic in terms of, you know, guys would go up and be prayed for and set free. And then there would be an expectation that next Sunday they're okay. Mm. you know, just walk it out, you know, to do those kind of processes and, and to be fair to the church. Um, and I say it with utmost respect because the key to this is the church. Mm. The the key to this is the church that, um, we can't expect the church to be everything for everybody. Um, and to be able to understand the intricacies of a, of, of a trauma or multiple traumas or, um, complex post-traumatic stress or uh mental health issues of bipolar or depression necessarily and why would we anticipate that somebody a pastor or or an eldership would have a depth of understanding of the addiction process of comprehending addiction and comprehending the recovery journey as long as they're going to group they're going to be great Mm -hmm. but there's so much more to it Mm -hmm. so one of the points that we, we really are, are firm in the South African National Drug Master Plan is an amazing piece of work. Uh, it's an amazing document where it runs from a government department and those other government departments are rec- or, 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 or duplicated or replicated on from a national perspective down to provincial, down to local community. But the reality is the governments generally are not able to roll that all out to that kind of level and there's broken communication. And the only people that are really on the ground is the church. Mm.
1: It is it read. is in the neighborhoods yes. of where people are living, it's accessible. Yes. It is so yes. many, um, it has so many opportunities for touch points for the yeah. community, unlike yeah. so many other organizations, whether it's the YMCA or you know, whatever, um, the the church is such a unique vehicle to be able to connect with people. Yeah.
0: It is it is the vehicle. It's you know it's it's what God intended mm-hmm. in my mind. I agree. <laughs> and, and so so we be, we became about an, a clear cut understanding is how do we demystify addiction to the church? first and foremost, before treatment programs, before the, the beauty of, of 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 our storehouse um, or, or the well that we have. How do we really get the church to start understanding the comp, the, to comprehend addiction, mm-hmm. to build a culture of recovery in the church where it's okay to come and say, Hey guys, listen, I'm back here with pornography. And actually, if I look at the stats, that's over 70% of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that is, addiction doesn't look like using fentanyl or um, crystal math or, we or, we, or crystal math. Yeah. yeah. Correct. It's it's the behavior disorder that comes with it. Yeah. So therefore, the congregation, and if we say one in 65 people for every person active addiction, 65 people are negatively impacted, it is the church. Yes. So, so if we're going to talk about mental health and preach about mental health, we should be preaching because actually it's ever present in the church. Yeah. And we stand uh, perhaps in danger that um, a church without the broken may well be a broken church. (laughs) And it stands to reason that if we're not preaching about mental health along the way, and of course, as a subject, not as an overriding, arching process, if we're not preaching about this or fostering an understanding or fostering a culture of recovery, which allows people to be normal and normalized within the space of church, how are we going to remain current mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's not about changing the word and making the word fit into the current situation it's about changing us mm-hmm. of how do we make it okay guys listen i'm in recovery from pornography or sexual addiction i've messed it up you know how do i create an environment that's okay to say that mm-hmm. as opposed to how are you doing today brother now i'm good i'm blessed i'm I'm blessed, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's it. We're blessed, yeah. Um, not minimizing the strength of that, of course, or, or anything else, but we have to be able to talk about it. We ask the guys, why do you come to group? Mm-hmm. And they often say, you know, it's like the manifestation of God. We actually see the, the authenticity coming in and the work being done into that area. Mm-hmm. So I'll carry on for like another 13 podcasts on that <laughs>
1: So let's let's <laughs> gear into let's let's focus in on Project Exodus because what you are doing, you are equipping churches to be these Correct. safe places. You are providing training and resources. And Correct. so can you succinctly, right? if someone's like, okay, I know this is an area where our church, we don't know a lot. We know there's people in our community. Sure. We know sure. there's people within sure. our congregations that are struggling, but we don't know how to support them. What does sure. Project Exodus offer?
0: Great. So we are able to equip the church with the ability to run recovery groups, to teach into the community, and we have churches doing this, like literally taking our material and preaching from that, obviously Mm -hmm. marrying it with the Word and and, and preaching from that, of understanding that this is okay. Mm -hmm. It's okay not to be. It's okay to be in a situation that we want you to be set free, but that is insufficient. It's about how do we equip you and how do we bring you up into that space and how do we make a ministry in the church for recovery
1: is it a group and, and curriculum or is it more than that
0: and there, there's so much more mm. so I'll, I'll try and really not um, overburden that process but we, we believe that we've been called to provide a, store, a storehouse of recovery-related resources to the church so that the church can be equipped, equipped to run their ministries and to look after their communities mm. um, and the thing and, and, and the people within their congregation. Um, and that looks like many different things. There's a base point of how we equip people to comprehend addiction and comprehend the recovery journey and to know that it's so much more than substance abuse or just pornography, and that pornography is one of the same behavior disorders. Mm-hmm. We understand that, um, that if we look at the iceberg model, 10% is the substance or behavior that yes. is apparent, yeah. and the 90% underneath is what's got to be dealt with. Yeah. So just to have a specific pornography alone group perhaps develops an affiliation of a an abusive environment mm-hmm. um that, that we have to just perhaps just work that carefully it's it's we're not going to take a bunch of crack addicts necessarily and create a crack recovery group. Right. Um, we, we're talking about recovery. We're talking mm-hmm. about changing the belief system, about restoring neurological pathways. We're talking mm-hmm. about equipping and training. Mm-hmm. So that that is best done then with the church rolling out a recovery group structure, both mm-hmm. for families and for the individuals that are suffering. Mm-hmm. So I love that. Existing so two existing
1: groups for families yeah. and those deeply caregivers or those deeply impacted, and then those who are actually the person who are seeking recovery. Correct. It's beautiful. Correct. It's beautiful. I love that. What else is there? You said there's those group models and then there, do you have downloads or resources for pastors on how to address or language to use and things
0: like that? Absolutely. So just on that particular point, as far as the groups are concerned, we provide everything. So Mm. we provide the training, how to run the group, facilitator training, um, all the registration documents, indemnities, um, everything that is needed. To be able to literally open a group and we provide a curriculum which through its delivery provides ongoing training for over a year. Wow. So we can't learn take what we learned over two decades and force it again. In an eight week group? Take- no,
1: you can't do that. <laughs> eight weeks no, isn't enough. No, oh, okay. No,
0: no, 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 not enough, not so enough. over it, so, you have uh,
1: content enough to cover a full year or more
0: we we develop content that runs extensively that keeps on getting updated and um, that is cutting edge that is innovative that is yes. resolution it really creative. is i've taken a look at it
1: it really is
0: yeah it's, yeah, awesome. it's all about ezekiel 37 prophesying to the breath and now calling mm-hmm. those dead bones to where they need to be i'm um, raising up an army and and all of a sudden we're finding that the culture in the church shifts Mm-hmm. And the recovery guys start being the ones that are volunteering and driving. And all of a sudden, see, hang on, there's doctors and surgeons and mm-hmm. psychologists and school kids and mm-hmm. business people. And everybody starts talking the principles of recovery, not the principles of addiction. Right. Um, it's, it starts talking about life and how mm-hmm. do we drive forward.
1: It's so, shifting
0: the culture. I love it. Correct. Brilliant. And cultures, the church knows how to do culture. Mm -hmm. I'm the church of all people know how to do culture. It's about continued activation and engagement. It's not doing a course. It's about building life. Mm. Yeah. Then we have an outpatient program, which is at a higher level. Um, At this stage, it's in one section, which is the um, excess recovery skills. It's a 12 module, five months, once or twice a week um, curriculum. Um, that really upskills dramatically anybody that's needing to understand recovery or to understand themselves or to develop further recovery skills. It deals with emotion, intelligence, self-worth. Um, there's so much in, in that mm-hmm. particular space. But if pastors really want to equip themselves, really, really, in terms of like how to engage and understand group dynamics, a lot of pastors have done a lot of groups, small groups, et cetera, connect groups and those kind of things. But the facilitator skills are a little bit different when and mm-hmm. when you apply them amazing things happen in group. Yes. Um, and if you have got the, the understanding of an emotional intelligence process etc that roll out and the language that goes with it which is um, learn um, learn, and apply, learn and reflect and apply those kind of principles that mm-hmm. runs through our training they, they really get it mm-hmm. um, so th- that's our process outpatient passion program we have people in the, this country and in the, in the UK at the moment that run that as a as a, almost a clinical practice in terms of a charge parade and they're able to really bring a group of people in a closed group format for a five-month period with on-ramps and off-ramps so you can run it continually. Wow,
1: interesting. Um, it's
0: it's a beautiful. We're, we're having amazing success that the guys that stay in that are, are, are talking, and this is unsubstantiated at this point, but figures of like 80% sustained recovery mm. um, when they are in the group structures and going for coaching, coaching and doing this area. Wow. Wow. Um, and then we've got, yeah, so much more. We have an app um, that you can literally do part of this journey on an app. You're able to go onto the app and do a life recovery plan, get accountability, check into groups, um, make sure there's accountability tracking within that space, and load drug tests. Because, of course, we do want to trust you, but we want you to be able to be able to validate yes. that as well. Um, and we also, um, gosh, there's so much more. The technology oh program, God. which which goes into the space gets launched in February. Um, We've started, which is just writing out into Hillsong and CFC Church and, and Grace Bible Church in Soweto, um, which is a huge, a huge, um, beautiful, amazing church, um, which is, we call Thrive, which is a de-addictionized version of the first kind of modules, which helps with divorce care and equipping, mm-hmm. and in fact, small group leaders, having a depth of understanding of if they are responsible for the 5, 10, 20 people within their small group, they should have these skills. Mm. They yeah. should have these abilities to understand accountability and say, you know, it looks like you might just be having a bit of a behavior disorder addiction problem. How okay. can we help? We can refer you into the right ministry, et cetera. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a whole lot of development which I can just perhaps and- send through to you.
1: Yes, and we'll have all of these things on the show no, on the show notes, all the links and the resources, pamphlets and, yeah. and 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 all those things where people can check it out. I'm I'm so excited to be able to share this resource uh with mm. with everyone because this really, like you said, it's it's not about a course, it's about building life. I love that you that quote. I we're definitely gonna be putting that quote out there because <laughs> it is Great. so much more, and it comes yeah. from a place of your your. Your lived experience and God showing up and transforming. Your life and many other lives, and I'm very excited to introduce this to so many people because I want you, to, I want people to check this out. So we are yeah, going to yeah, have that yeah. on all the show notes. And and for um, a yeah. final question, I would love for you to reflect back. If you could write a letter to yourself, your younger self, or send your younger self a voicemail in those early days, now that you know what. The end of the story is what would you tell your former self?
0: Sure, before I answer that, Laura, I would love to say. The team that we work with, we have 16 guys full-time and five guys volunteering. We have the most amazing team, all with their lived experience, all with their lived um, uh, stories, qualified people uh, with honors degrees. We have a doctorate in in clinical psychology as part of our board. Yeah, no one's thinking you're just making this stuff up. Yeah, Yeah. so just, just to put that into context. Yes. Um, it's not about me. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely no, absolutely
1: not, yeah? not. No, but God has so we, brought we, together we, this team. A beautiful and, team. Yeah, yes.
0: yeah. 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 So that's it. That so what would I say to my former self? Yes. Um it's a mixture of like run. <laughs> <laughs> run
1: away. Run
0: away. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: Um, but I, I said that tongue in cheek. Um I, I would say be kind to myself. Um, be forgiving. um trust God, because the, the story I cried out to many times under even during this process from from under the broom, broom tree, just like enough like time out, you know, come on, you know, is, is this really what it's about? Um, to the point that we are, um, are advising and speaking to the development of psychiatric units. We've got our groups running in psychiatric units and in rehabilitation centers and, and things, and just saying, actually, he does have a plan. That's so good. He does have a plan. This, That's so he good. Does. <laughs> even when it seems beyond any crazy perspective that it's impossible that he does. Um, and those are plans to bring life and to use every situation for his good
1: so good thank you thank you so much for joining us on this podcast good. and good. thank you for um having the vision to be able to see this through because yeah people all around the world are going to be blessed and find freedom through this so thank you
0: thank you We we appreciate you so much
1: Hey, thanks for listening. This is such an important episode because there are people in your congregation and in your community who struggle with addictions. You may know about some, but I can guarantee that there are others that have have it hidden and feel so much shame. This episode has challenged me to build a culture of recovery in my church, to create an environment that is safe and supportive so that people feel that they can share how they're really doing and that we don't respond with shame and judgment consider looking into Project Exodus and and seek out their training that they provide. I know they have some online groups as well, so anyone around the world are able to access their resources. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I did recording it. If you want to be reminded when a new episode goes live, make sure you follow. Thanks for connecting and take care.